Oh yeah, I like the sound of that, and I know that you're gonna like the sound of it too. This is The Manny Wolf Show, where I pull no punches, I don't hold back in my conversations with some of the most interesting minds on the planet. So, put us in your ear, turn the volume up, and hang on for another episode. Looks like we are live with another episode of The Manny Wolf Show, where I do try every day to bring you good conversations with great minds. Uh, At the risk of doing what I always do when I get to interview this guy, I'm going to give him an obsequious compliment right off the bat and put him on the spot. My friend Ari Mizell, who is, in my opinion, definitely a great mind. Uh, Thank you, Ari. So good to have you here in all sincerity. I love every time I get to talk to you. And um, I chose to call this this interview How to Have the Strength of Ten Men. And <laughs> hopefully that'll get some people's attention. But what I really mean is how to easily do the work of 10, 20, 30, 50, or 100 people, uh, which is kind of your specialty. Yeah. Why don't you tell us in your words what your specialty is, and we'll just sort of go from there. Yeah, so uh, my, my origination or the original program that I started created was called Less Doing, which was really focused on personal productivity. And over the years, that's after lots of coaching and speaking and books and whatnot, that's morphed into more of a business-focused methodology, which I call the replaceable founder. And the idea is to make everybody as replaceable as possible, uh, mm-hmm. not replaced, but replaceable. And to do that, yeah. we need to create systems and processes, empower teams, and ultimately optimize, automate, and outsource everything that we do. So at this point, I would say that I work with entrepreneurs for the most part and companies that have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure will support to put those systems and processes in place. And a lot of the systems that I created are somewhat counter to some of the other popular productivity systems out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us what opportunity in excess, (laughs) tell us what that means because that sounded really fancy. And it gave me a little entrepreneurial tingle, but I think we better get a little more specific as to what we're talking about here. Yeah. So basically, if I'm dealing with successful entrepreneurs, right? So I, yeah. I've worked with over the years, like every possible kind of company and every different mm-hmm. size, uh, but I don't really work with like fledgling companies, startups and things like that. I don't right. work with people who haven't sort of gotten a hold of what they're doing, figured uh-huh. out their product or their service and have customers. And yeah. so... The, the companies that I like to deal with, are the ones who have, you know, a, a lead list of 200 people and they only have the capacity to service four of them. Right. right? Yeah. Or, or the people that as many people have had the opportunity with the current pandemic, there are some people's businesses have exploded, you know, because mm-hmm. of what's been happening and they just yeah. completely unprepared for it. So those kind of situations are the ones that I really like to sink my teeth into because it's it's almost like a numbers game. There's just more to, there's just more to work with, right? So right. Yeah. better sample size. And so what you what you do is you find out everywhere in the, let's call it the awareness, indoctrination, enrollment, and fulfillment, right? The whole sort of life cycle of whatever they're doing. And you go in and you find all the places where maybe uh, to borrow from the title of this of this interview, the heavy lifting is being done by a human that doesn't need to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is a, there's certainly like an investigative aspect to what we do mm-hmm. uh, because 
I like that there's an expression that I like, which is uh, you can't read the label from inside the jar. Right. right. So yeah. you see these business owners all the time and, and just not even owners, just workers at every level who are so inundated with stuff and so overwhelmed with whatever they're working on that they just yeah. they don't have the possibility of having that sort of outside view and seeing what's going on. But when I come in sort of with my lens, it's yeah. a lot more straightforward to figure out where the holdups are and, and really where the bottlenecks right. are. Yeah. Now, here's here's a question I know I can get some value out of, and I, I would wager this is going to be pretty universal. Are the mis- do the do the do the places where we can't see the label from inside the jar tend to be the same most of the time? Yes. No, <laughs> yeah. so, I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and, and I I really put some thought to it for a few minutes, and I said that I think I've probably coached upwards of 500 people over the last nine years. Yeah. And I think that I could put every single one of their problems into one of five buckets, basically. Right. So, and in businesses, mm-hmm. it's three buckets. It's how many? Three. Okay. Get your pens and pencils out. Yeah. You're going to want to know this. <laughs> so. Yeah. So the first one is communications. The second one is project management. And the third one is processes. Uh, I would say that that covers the the gamut of 99% of the problems that I see in businesses. And furthermore, communications is probably 80% of those problems. No kidding. Because I'll, so, so that the, the world here knows I'm on your email list. Uh, and I, and I love seeing your thought process via your emails. And I see you talking about communication and communications a lot. Um, and I'm not, Sometimes I'm not sure I know exactly what you mean. So would you expand on that here? Can I just gratuitously take this opportunity to, you know? 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a, a few different facets of it, right? So the, the first one is sort of how we communicate, the, the literally the mechanics of like the words that we're using and the way that people really fail at conveying success. Uh, you know, to illustrate this, one of the things that I always love to ask whenever I give a talk somewhere, I always like to say, like, how many of you have ever outsourced something, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a large percentage of the audience will raise their hands. And then I say, great. Now, how many of you have ever had a bad experience outsourcing something? Right. And inevitably, more yeah. people raise their hands than originally answered the question, right? That's typically the fault of the delegator, right? Because, mm. again, we're really bad, generally speaking, at conveying what success looks like at providing the proper resources and ultimately at empowering people. So there's the mechanical aspect of, or the, you know, the the mechanics of the communication issues. The second one is the sort of logistics of how we communicate and like what systems we tend to use. So people will use the wrong tools for the wrong type of communication. So an example there, and I can expound on any of these that you want, uh, is that email is a terrible no-no tool for internal communication, something that we are very strict about when we work with clients. You should not be using email as an internal communication tool. You have to use something else. It doesn't matter if it's Slack or what's, it doesn't matter, honestly, but it should not be email. And most companies are doing that, including yeah. some very, very large companies. I did a talk last week for a company that is, I can't name them, but it's one of the biggest players in the tech world and they make their own email system and their employees are drowning in email because they're not using it correctly. So it's a very, very common issue. And then the third one is the actual sort of philosophical idea behind delegation itself. And 
understanding yeah. that it's not about micromanagement. It's really about empowerment. And also we don't want to delegate as this sort of knee jerk reaction in terms of like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to do this thing. It's too hard. I'm just going to find somebody else to do it. But that person that I'm going to find to do it, generally speaking, has less experience, less information, less context than I do. And yet at the same time, I expect a result that is better than the result that I would produce myself. So you're just setting everybody up for failure. Right. Yeah. So it sort of breaks down into those three subtopics. So um, I know that I guess I, there's a couple of things here. I feel like we're about to get to something that I first learned talking to you, asynchronous communication. Yes. It's a very fancy phrase. <laughs> and I'm feeling like um, Slack or, or WhatsApp or one of those internal communication platforms. Um, do those, first of all, what's asynchronous communication? And second of all, do those lend themselves to it better? Or is there a fundamental shift we have to make as a team in our understanding about the communication rhythm? It, it, the latter, you really have to have this sort of fundamental shift. So, so what is asynchronous communication, right? So it's the opposite of what you and I are doing right now. This would be <laughs> communication, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's obviously a time and a place for synchronous communication, but asynchronous is really something that, people are doing every day in some mm -hmm. form or fashion. Texting yeah. is asynchronous. Email is supposed to be asynchronous. Um, right. Slack, right. WhatsApp, all of these kinds of tools are asynchronous means, which means that I can send a message whenever I want. Mm -hmm. The person can receive it whenever they want and they yeah. can respond whenever they want and you can receive it and so on and so forth. Yeah. So if you understand the value of asynchronous communication, you use it the right way you're effectively allowing everybody in that loop to communicate at a time that is most effective for them, which is hard to argue against, right? Right. The problem is that a lot of people are using these tools and treating them like a synchronous communication tool. So That's perfect example is the person that sends a text message, right? And they send it and then they're waiting and they watch the three dots going and they're waiting and they're watching. And it's like <laughs> opening a portal, yeah. you know, through your, possible zone of productivity yeah. where what you should be doing is you send the message, put it down and go back to what you're doing. Right. If they respond, you get to it when you're done doing the thing that you're focusing on right yeah. now. Now we push that limit a lot, especially, especially now where a lot of the things that people would just assume and are used to doing in a synchronous fashion, such as daily huddles or uh, sales calls is another good one. These are things that we have, seen and shown can be done really effectively and many times more effectively in an asynchronous fashion. So the daily standup is a great example. A lot of people, especially if you look at things like the Rockefeller habits, or there's all sorts of methodologies that tell you to have a daily standup, which I, right. I think is a great idea. The issue is that everybody's sort of on a different rhythm. Everybody's yeah. Yeah. and it's not just like two people in the same time zone even, but you know, you and I are in two different time zones. Yeah. There's, there's all these issues that come up. So to think that you're going to set a team meeting at 9 a.m. on Monday morning and the five people or the 50 people in that meeting are going to somehow be in sync is just crazy. Yeah. So we can do that asynchronously and we can do this sort of round robin process, which we do in our team and all the companies we work with. And in, in our team, a message pops up every morning. And in our case, we use a tool called Voxer, which is my favorite communication tool in existence. And it pops up and it says, what are you going to do today, team? Check in. And so everybody 
checks in and there's five people on my team, which is not huge, but sometimes it takes 20 minutes for all of us to check in. Sometimes it takes five hours, uh -huh. but every single day we are all getting on the same page and it keeps us connected in that manner. I've done sales calls over Voxer uh, asynchronously, mm -hmm. customer service issues, coaching, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can do a lot of this stuff asynchronously. And the last thing I'll just say, I know that was like a long sort of string of things. The last thing I'll say about that is that you can have an enormously larger amount of conversations in a enormously shorter amount of time. So if I get off this call with you and there's five Voxer messages, yeah. that are a minute each, let's say, I listen to them for five minutes, I can probably respond to all five of them in two or three minutes. Right. right. So in 10 minutes or in eight minutes, I've had five full conversations basically, and things can continue to progress. So looking at it, you know, on the surface from a hundred feet up or whatever, I'm saying, yeah, that sounds phenomenal. And I also recognize uh, a couple of things, you know, the, the sort of uh, the, the, the idiosyncratic and, um, and sort of gut check, uh, way that synchronous communication tends to happen. Um, and meaning that, uh, so let me see if I could get this meaning that it's like the example I read in the seven habits of highly effective people. I'm guessing, you know, that book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, Stephen Covey talks about how uh, the peculiarity of, I could be talking to you it could be a jugular conversation. And if the phone rings, I'm almost always going to say, give me just a sec. Hey, Manny here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance of growing your own personal brand and your own audience. In this day and age, if you do business on social media or on the internet in general, you need to be focused on your personal brand. And your personal brand is a function of what people say, think, and feel about you behind your back. And that's where we can come in and help you tremendously. So I'd like to invite you to go over to my website, mannywolf.com, where you can either schedule a call with me or my team, or you can learn about the ways that we can help you to grow your audience powerfully and quickly. In this day and age, content is absolutely king. And if you don't have a content strategy, you can't expect big results. And what we do is we help you with powerful, powerful content strategies. In short, we can put you everywhere all the time without you doing hardly any work. Sounds kind of cool, right? If you'd like to learn more, head over to mannywolf.com and either book a call or look into one of the ways that we have already prepared to help you rapidly grow your audience, grow your trust, your authority, your personal brand, and of course, through all of those things, grow your business. All right, now back to the show. And it's going to somehow, for some reason, irrationally trump this call, this conversation that's happening right here. And that's what I mean by the kind of like when it's synchronous, there's that idiosyncratic like tendency to deprioritize the, the conversation a little bit to distractions. Yeah. Um, but so talk to me a little bit about what you alluded to earlier about um how we need to shift our thinking and our approach to the communication in order for these asynchronous methods to be more effective. There has to be a shift in the people, right? A little bit in their understanding. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I, look, I, as you know, very well, like I love technology. I'm very big. Yeah. <laughs> You're a fan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 
tech will never solve the problem. Tech is going to amplify habits, basically, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, good yeah. habits are better and bad habits make them much, much worse. So everything that we teach, there's 90% of it is really about sort of the mindset and the approach that we take to this stuff. So yeah. the shift from sort of the synchronous to the asynchronous, a lot of times it's really just like a big cultural one. It's just some, you know, people are just used to, salespeople are a really good example. You take like an old salesperson um, or a, let's say, previous generation salesperson. Yeah. Right? And the idea of, you know, not like hunkering down on the phone and like getting in front yeah. of them, right? Yeah. Like that's crazy. There's no way you're going to close sale. Now, obviously, you know, you're doing like a multi-million dollar deal. You probably need to do that. But for most salespeople, that's not the case. And the, you know, so the sales one is a really good example. So I, the first time I ever did it, I basically, we had a webinar and people registered. And after they registered, we said, if you want to book a, if you want to talk to Ari right now, you can use this tool called Voxer. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. So it was a Sunday morning at 7.50 in the morning. And I got a three minute long message from a stranger telling me about his business and what his problems were. And it was 7.50 in the morning. I was getting the kids sort of up and we were making breakfast. And so like an hour and a half later, maybe I responded to him with a minute long message with a couple questions and some clarifications. Six hours later, he responded to me with another two minute message. And then sometime around 11 o'clock that night, I responded and I was ready to go to bed. And about two minutes later, he made his purchase, right? So there was an, the entire conversation, the entire exchange of audio message was like 11 minutes. Yeah. Right. And over the course of a day. But, you know, what that does is like I get to think about my answer and really give the response I want. He does, too. We're not yeah. rushed because we're in the situation and we're not trying to shoehorn. And this is always fascinating to me. Right. We're not trying to. This is going to sound weird. Right. We're, we're not trying to shoehorn an 11 minute conversation into a 15 minute block of time. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So uh, just as I love this, one of my favorite statistics of all time is that like the average nonfiction book has roughly 12 pages of actual content in it. Uh, <laughs> that's like an average, right? The rest yeah. of it is sort of fluff and stuff. That's how most conversations and definitely most meetings are. Mm -hmm. Right. So this allows you to really cut through that noise. So yeah. uh, if you can show how much more effective it is to people, that usually really helps with that shift. But again, a lot of it really is just this sort of cultural, historical belief that you it's, it's about FaceTime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about, this is one of my favorite things about what you do, uh, or at least it's certainly the most relevant to me. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how, whether or not content is still king. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've um, heard that, right? You, you've heard the, the people getting up and saying, oh, tired of, you know, like basically trying to sell you something by saying content is not super, super important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that, I think the content is king. I think that now more than ever content is yeah. king. I think that, you know, obviously depending on the business, but for most businesses in the current situation, I don't believe that like the expectation of growth is reasonable. If you're sort of maintaining your status quo and continuing your business and like surviving and yeah, I, I think that's great. If you're thriving, that's amazing. Yeah. But I think surviving is a really sort of good bar for most people at this point. And now I think more than ever is the time not to be selling things to people per se, but really right. establishing who you are and your brand and your authority. And mm -hmm. it's, I saw some quote from a friend of mine that was just perfect for this. He said, um, 
if you see somebody drowning, that's not the time to try to sell them a course on swimming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Beautiful. the time to throw them a lifeboat or, you know, yeah. a life a jacket or whatever and pull them to shore and wrap them in a towel, right? So like, and that's, that's content. Like you can't yeah. do that with anything other than content. Yeah. Plus content is really ultimately, I think what makes any individual unique, you know, you take a real estate broker, there's a billion or, you know, yeah. a million real estate brokers that are essentially cookie cutter versions of every other mm -hmm. real estate broker. I don't mean any disrespect to real estate brokers because I, I was one, yeah. uh, but as a, as a sort of baseline profession, they're, they're a commodity. What yeah. makes them unique is their sort of knowledge and their perspective. And the only way to sort of share that is through yeah. content. Like their personality, right? Yeah, which has to come through in content. And right. that's what's going to get you that audience. And the last thing I'll say about that too is, uh, and this is based on an article from, what was his name? Kevin something, the, the editor-in-chief of Wired. But this is like 15 years old. And it was an article called 1,000 True Fans. Right. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So ultimately, mm -hmm. in most businesses, that's what you need, right? You need a thousand true fans. You don't need a million sort of wishy washy people. You need a thousand true fans. And I think that I'm not going to say it's the only way, but I think that content is the clearest way to get there. Yeah. The idea being that 1,000 raving fans can, can uh, easily make you, it could easily make you a, a million dollar a year business. Yeah, right, yeah. right, easily. Yeah, easily. Um, I'm not there yet, but I just do want to speak to the to the veracity of that, even at the level that you know, um, where I I don't know how many true fans I have, but I know that most of most of the business I actually do is with people who are already who have already worked with me. You know, most of my income, 70% is, and it's really cool. This is one of the gifts of content and the gifts of social media that I feel like a lot of people miss because social media is, it's like a, it's like an arcade full of pachinko games, right? It's really loud and busy and, and, and bopping all over the place. You know what I mean? But if you're able to see it for what it is, this, this almost virtually no cost opportunity to get in front of a, a global audience, uh, as some of us think of it, you can do amazing things and you can do them God, for just pennies on the dollar. But so before we go down that, you know, before I take the tractor and yank it off into the field there, um, I'd love to, to hear your solutions and your thoughts on, I, I see people who embrace the idea of content being king and then they wind up spending just untold amounts of time managing multiple platforms, managing all, you know, just spending their time doing content. And the problem that I see with those people when it's a business for them is either a extreme hours, burnout, or they don't have any time to actually fulfill or coach or sell or, you know, because everything's about the content. Um, what are your thoughts there? I, I mean, I'm obviously pitching you a softball, slow fat and over the plate here, but <laughs> But uh, how do you how do you engage with that? How do you grapple with that? So, uh, I wrote an article on Medium a while back called "How to Create One Month of Content in One Minute," yeah. and it was not in any shape or form hyperbolic, right? Like right. that is literally something that I have created a system to do. So, a, a lot of that takes place through automation, some of it through outsourcing, but. 
the the fascinating thing with me about that content issue and the content dissemination everything is that people use it as such an excuse all the time it's like oh i know i need to be creating content i know i need to have a podcast right but i just don't have the time to put it all together yeah, like, yeah. do you have time to talk for a couple of minutes you know yeah exactly it doesn't, it doesn't require that much right so i have set up a system which i can describe quickly and briefly there where essentially i can do a one minute or three minute five minute whatever a couple minute facebook live and I can do that while I'm, you know, walking my dog out in our field here, or I can do it, you know, right before I go to bed at night for, it doesn't take much effort or time. Uh, and I do it at a time that's really natural for me. So it sort of mm -hmm. comes out really well. I tend to, I'm really good at walking and talking. So I can yeah. do videos walking like all day long. That's why you gotta have a stabilizer. But I, I do the Facebook live mm -hmm. and from that, through a series of automations and outsourcing, we get uh, a podcast, an, uh, an audio podcast, a YouTube video of mm -hmm. that audio podcast, yeah. a originally written by a copywriter with full SEO juice in it article of a thousand to 2000 words. Mm -hmm. We get 12 months of social media posting out of that automatically, things like tweets and stuff with the quote cards and all that kind of things. Yeah. Uh, social media videos, those like really fancy little videos that people pop up and, you know, have the words and stuff on them. And uh, I think that that's it. So all of those things happen from one or two minutes of my original content, which I can do a few times a week without even having to think about it. Yeah. And there's no excuse at that point for why yeah. I can't put content out. Not to mention the top writer on uh, medium is Benjamin Hardy, who's been on my podcast a couple times, and he's a really he's he appears to be a really prolific writer. Uh, and he is again, he's like the most followed person on Medium. He republishes his articles every eight to ten months, exact same article with a different title. Yeah, uh, and it's he doesn't hide that at all, and it just exposes it to new people. So that's the other thing is that you don't have to be constantly creating new content either. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the benefits of finally figuring out how to become a prolific content creator, whether it's through automation or whatever? I think this is, this is something that people really can't hear enough if they're doing business in the online space. Yeah. I, you know, I think it, it really boils down to like that idea of putting yourself out there. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny. So when I was, I started my first company when I was 12, right? With website design. Yeah, right, right. A couple more before I was graduated high school. And I was always really intentional that anytime I had a conversation with anybody, I would mention my company. I would somehow work it into the conversation. Yeah. Very, very, uh, in, again, intentionally. And because you never know, right? You never know who might need a website. You never know who might know somebody who they should introduce you to. But right. if you don't put that out there, you don't explain what you do. You don't describe it. You don't give the opportunity yeah. for somebody to, to, to take advantage of, then it's just not going to happen, right? So the idea of not putting content out there is actively turning down opportunities. That's just the way I kind of see it. And people should see it that way as too. It's not just like you're not taking advantage of opportunity, you are actively saying no to things. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, I know that I have come around to the 
point of view or the belief, I guess, that this this thing that I call indirect ROI is is maybe in the long run more powerful than the things that you can put a dollar in and chart every sort of you know KPI of what the dollar does. Um, do you know what I mean when I say indirect ROI? Do you know what I'm referring to, or, or should I elaborate? I think so, but yeah. So I'm talking about I'm talking about uh, another way of, of talking about it is is building trust and goodwill way ahead of time. You know, um, and that's kind of what you're talking about, right? I mean, that that's what uh, lots and lots of presence on lots and lots of platforms does for us. It, yes. it, yeah, it allows people to decide how they feel about us way before an offer comes down the pike. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you can tell so much, uh, I think, from people's sort of content style, the way that they talk, the, mm -hmm. the tonality, the the use or not use of, of swear words, right? Like there's so yeah. much you can see about something. And there's some people who own that personality and really work mm -hmm. it very well. There's people online, you know, like the get rich quick kind of people that are online all the time. There's a particular sort of like, you flavor. know, flavor to it is actually yeah. to, to it. Um, so you can identify that very quickly. And I, I had people tell me countless times of like, oh, I saw this YouTube video, I saw that article. It's like, you seem really legit. Yeah. It's like, okay. Great, thanks. You know, so it, it helps. It really does help. And also, you know, for better or worse, we're in a time when, and I don't mean, I don't mean coronavirus. I just mean in general, like we're in a time where you, people Google people, right? So right. if nothing comes up on somebody, yeah, I think that's weird in a lot of cases, right? So it's, it's, it's cause to take pause. It really is, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. So. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you're a father. You've seen, and I'm just, this is a total non sequitur, but you've seen the school and education model change quite a bit because of the coronavirus situation. Um, I'm curious with your unique sort of skill set, like you're like the Liam Neeson of, of tech automation. <laughs> what do you see happening with school? What do you see as some potential changes that might come for better, mostly for better, is what I'm worried about, or curious about, that might come as a result of this. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to add, sort of contextualize this as I answer it. We, I have four children, uh, eight and under, and they're in two different schools. So three of them are in one school, and one is at another school. And so I've, I, so the interesting thing about that, and they're two very, very different schools, and I've seen a really interesting sort of dichotomy in terms of how one school handles it really, really well and how one mm -hmm. school, in my opinion, doesn't handle it really, really well. Yeah. And they're using different platforms, which is also fascinating. So one mm -hmm. school is using Microsoft Teams, which I have come to loathe. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, as somebody who knows the ins and outs of basically every project management tool that exists, yeah, I, I'm very, very sort of, I wouldn't say the surprise, but I'm just disappointed in the way that this one works. And right. also it's just, in my opinion, not well suited for this use. Google Classroom, on the other hand, is a shockingly excellent platform that I'm okay. surprised with. It's totally free and it works really, really well. And it integrates really well with Google Docs and with Google Calendar and all this stuff. And it's just, it's great. Um, and then on the other hand, one, one team, uh, school is using Zoom, which is great. And the other school is using Google Meet, which I don't think is so great. So there's 
so in terms of like what's going to come out of this, I think that there's an opportunity for several companies to create much better platforms to do this kind of distance learning mm -hmm. and manage that process really well. Yeah. And honestly, like it, to me, it takes somebody who's like a really good project manager to sort of understand this and create a platform because that's something that's really missing yeah. uh, Microsoft Teams for this use. So uh, that's one is that I think that there's going to be a lot more technological support going yeah. forward for whenever they end up do going back to school, whatever that might be. Yeah. The other thing, uh, and this may be a more individual experience, but we have really gotten into discovering uh, several really, really excellent apps for the kids' iPads that they're able to use. And the one like Duolingo, for example, which is a really mm -hmm. great language learning app uh, because two of the kids are learning Chinese. And so like it, uh, the nice thing with some of these apps, and there's, there's lots and lots that are just total crap, but there's some real diamonds in the rough for the educational apps. And the, the, the overriding feature that I think is really great is the, the self pacing and self adjusting aspect, right? So as somebody, yeah. as the, the child struggles with one, it'll make that easier. And as they get better at one, it'll make it harder. And it individualizes education in a way that teachers can't possibly, oh, right? Wow. Your group. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, and I would hope honestly, that some of these apps start to take the place of homework in some cases, uh, because I think it provides just a more accurate view. And just as there's thousands of probably hundreds, at least studies on the issues of standardized testing and how they're, yes. they're biased towards minorities and towards other, there's all sorts of issues and some people are just not test, good test takers, right? So that, that idea of putting everybody through this sieve and hoping that it works out doesn't work. So yeah. adding in these elements, I think really, adds the uh, individualization, which if I had to say the one thing that I think that makes education better is the ability to tailor individually to any given student's needs and interests. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, fascinating, the idea about these apps that can sort of flex with how fast the kid's progressing. I hadn't even considered that. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, my friend, and I want to thank you so much for showing up and sharing your insights today. It, it genuinely is always really, really nice and really a treat to talk with you. Okay. Uh, so we will uh, we'll cut it off here. We'll say goodbye. We'll thank you for your time. And if anybody wants to get a hold of Ari, what's the best way to do so? Um, so they can find everything at lessdoing.com. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the one thing I'd particularly like to point people's attention to is that we have a virtual workshop coming up at the end of this month, May 28th, oh. 28th and 29th in the evening. So from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern time each night, which has been proving to be a really good sort of time slot with the current environment. Uh, and people can find out more about that at lessdoing.com. And they look at the replaceable founder intensive. I think it could be really helpful. Cool. Cool. Can you uh, stick around in the green room for a couple of minutes? Of course. Great. All right. Thanks so much, Ari. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Manny Wolf Show. If you know someone that you'd love to have me interview, please go to my website at mannywolf.com. That's M-A-N-N-Y-W-O-L-F-E.com and submit them as a potential guest. We love to bring guests on that our audience wants to hear from. So 
please help us to find the best guests for you by going to mannywolf.com and submitting anyone that you have in mind to be a great guest, including yourself. And if you'd like to know more about me and what I do, please come over to Facebook and join my group, simply called the Manny Wolf Group. If you'd like to get more into my world where we have all kinds of tips, trainings, valuable stuff for you to help you get better at growing your brand and your audience, please come and join the Manny Wolf Group on Facebook. Until our next episode, I'll see you.